if you carefully observe yourself or people around you, how they universally react, there's no words that come out of their mouth. There's a, a silence, right? There's, there's an enjoyment of this, that moment, right? Because you're so embraced by that overwhelm of the uh, beautiful experience. And so to me, to me, that's kind of how I look at it as a when design is doing their job in creating the experience, the way it's supposed to, you know, act, right, or function or um, communicate, you really don't have much to talk about other than I call it ah moment. The giant thinker. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. Hey guys, Ram Castillo here. What better way to enter the double digits, episode number 10? than to bring on the global vice president and head of design at Visa. He was previously the global director, head of product strategy and UX design at Samsung, head of design at PayPal, senior manager of UX design at eBay, and was even uh, at Whirlpool and GE. But before we get stuck into it, I'm excited to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Creative Live. Let me break this down for you for those that aren't aware of them. Creative Live is the world's largest live online education website. This means that you can watch classes that go to air for the first time for free, and then they are archived for purchase. Now, I know there are dozens of options for paid content out there. My suggestion is that you do your research on those people that are delivering and creating the actual content. At Creative Live, the instructors delivering the courses are experts in their field at the highest caliber. But you know what? You be the judge. On top of that, as a listener of this podcast, you get 25% off any Creative Live design class. There's a special URL for you guys that I encourage you to take a look at, which is creativelive.com slash giantthinkers. When you're there, feel free to use the code giantthinkers3 at the checkout to redeem 25% off any design class. You'll also see on that URL are my top five picks. So head on over to creativelive.com slash giant thinkers, use giant thinkers three as the promo code and do it before the 30th of November because that's when it expires. Okay. So on this episode, you will walk away with your mind blown. Seriously, the topics we talk about all revolve around user experience in so much depth. I usually dot point key learning outcomes, but I felt for this particular episode, dot points wouldn't do it justice. You just have to listen to this man's story and insights. The way he thinks is on another level. And I truly believe that anyone that listens to this will benefit from it. I present to you the man behind the epic resume, Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee, it's a privilege to have you on the show, mate. The listeners are in for an absolute treat, I'm sure. So welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast. All right. Well, thank you for the invitation. Honored to be here. Thanks, Kevin. So, uh, all right. First question off the bat. It's a little icebreaker question. 
Uh, here we go. If you woke up tomorrow as an animal, what animal would you choose to be and why? Uh, well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think that I would describe that uh, probably the eagle would be the one that I would think um, because, you know, it has several attributes that I think that I can relate to. Um, for example, you know, the eagle's always flying at a 10,000 foot, right? The high in the sky has a bird's eye view of the world. So that's kind of similar to me at the same time, you know, it has a very sort of relentless execution when it, you know, find the, you know, the, the, the victim, right. Or find the, uh, the things target, that the yeah. eagle wants to get to and it dives into it and being able to get it. Uh, but it also has a fair balance of speed, right. Uh, it knows how to go faster or slower depending on situations. So there's a lot of those things that I think kind of relates to me. And, and most of what I think Eagle, despite the stereotypes, I think it's very uh, sensitive and caring um, you know, animal. That's cool. And I think that I like to always describe myself as a, somebody who have a, you know, empathy for uh, things that I do or people that I work with. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, um, there's that whole thing, right, about everyone having a spirit animal, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those uh, uh, easy ways to kind of uh, attribute our characteristics. So that's uh, that's a really uh, nice description that you you gave for us there. Right, um, thanks. <laughs> so um, I'd love to ask you about your childhood. So um, where are you from, and how did you grow up? Yeah, so um, you know, I was originally born in Korea, South Korea, uh, Seoul. And uh, I spent up to my middle school and then I moved to U.S. Um, I went to boarding school in Connecticut um, and I moved down to Georgia uh, and spent the rest of my high school there. And I graduated and then I went to college in uh, Georgia. Um, and then, um, you know, after I finished my school, uh, doing some internship here and there, um, I decided to um, go to uh, pursue my, you know, advanced degree in master's. Uh, of science in uh, technical communication. And then, so I ended up in Oregon State. Uh, but then, you know, faith is uh, some mysterious subject, right? So rather than completing your degree, you ended up, I ended up meeting my wife there. Uh, so, you know, we fell in love and then we went, moved back to Korea for about three years, got married, you know, had a first born baby. And then we moved back to a state again to um, actually finish my master's program uh, in human-computer interaction at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, and since then, the, you know, my corporate career took off, um, went to, you know, several companies like GE, Whirlpool, eBay, PayPal, Samsung, and here I'm at uh, Visa now. Mate, that is such an incredible journey. And uh, you just r rapidly went through that uh, uh, nice little uh, history of, of, your, of your path and your, uh, I guess, an amazing CV as well. Um, Mate, uh, can you share to us about um, that little bit when you moved from Korea to America? Um, sure. Can you can you just tell us a bit more about how that happened? Yeah, I mean, you know, unlike the most people's path when they move from one country to another, um, it was a little bit different for me. Where I always wanted to come to the state, uh, come to here in United States, and I don't know what it is. It's either sometimes a drama that you watch that hmm. is just, a, you know, inspirational characters or the the lifestyle that is so different or maybe just, you know, something that you want to relate to more. And so I always had this uh, innate uh, desire and motivation. Uh, and just one day that 
you know, my, my mother um, just told me that, uh, do you want to go? And without any hesitation, I said, sure, I do. And that's how I ended up moving to the state. And actually, I did move myself only. Uh, it wasn't anybody. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask, did you go with your family or? No, it was just me just on you. the plane. Uh, that's why I ended up in boarding school because, you know, at boarding school, everyone's taking care of you. Sure. Um, so kind of I was dropped off at the boarding school. <laughs> um, but that's kind of how my journey started. So it was more like a, there was nothing that challenging other than um, like, you know, excitement, right? And then the sort of like a venture into the new world, right? Without cool. any fear. Um, I do say, however, that uh, when I moved down to Georgia uh, and ended up going to public school, that's where I really had a, a, a sense of the uh, real world sort of like uh, challenges. You know, how you see the in the public school, sometimes you see the, you know, the tissues running around or flying around the cafeteria across the table yeah. um, to targeting some of those, you know, minorities sure. or like people with uh, some of the, you know, uh, not so popular group. So I was initially in that part of the group. So I kind of went through that stereotypical, hmm. you, whether we want to call it discrimination, uh, which is really, um, now to think about it, it's a very rewarding experience. Hmm. Uh, something that taught me a lot in terms of what it means to, you know, integrate into society um, that has a different cultural background. And I think it just helped me to um, build up better character uh, as a person, just to embracing those situations rather than avoiding and running away. Yeah. So that's really, experience. That's really great. Yeah. And, and I just highlight that because I think um, uh, coming from Korea, um, you do bring that culture to America right. and you and everyone that you meet. And we're going to yep. talk a little bit about um, the importance of traveling and, and all that later on. Um, yep. But I, I think um, it's just such a, a relevant topic. Um, I actually wrote a, an article for the American Institute of Graphic Arts about um, how cultural diversity produces the best creative solutions. Um, because of your exposure to that uh, level of, you know, does this piece fit with that? Well, you can't think that way unless you've not been exposed to something different. Different. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, mate. So uh, where would you say for those listening out there, um, you did mention uh, you worked for GE, uh, Whirlpool, um, eBay, PayPal, you know, um, even now Visa, uh, Samsung as well prior. Uh, where would you say your expertise lies? You know, um, I think that looking back, I think it's kind of a combination of you know, the expression of jack of all trades and master of none, right? Hmm. Um, you know, it has good and bad side of it. But I think, I think over time, I think I accumulated different skill sets. Um, so now, looking from where I'm at now, um, I think I have a combination of like strategic leadership, where I always look at from a strategic perspective um, and, and broad vision perspective um, before diving into very specific you know, execution or specific aspects of things. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have, a, I think, an innate skill set to analyze a big business problem and then you know, distill it down to a very actionable, um, prescriptive um, or descriptive sort of actions mm -hmm. or direction that we'll share with the team where then they can understand what that problem they try to solve and then being able to execute in a much uh, simpler and uh, and then the less, um, you know, confusing way. Um, but I think also over time, because I've gone through from individual contributor role to the management role, 
uh, we all make mistakes, right? As we transitioning from different roles, from responsibilities. So I kind of understood what it means to actually uh, cultivate and nurture the talent. Uh, that once you were the receiving end of it, now you are the giving part. Um, and so that has a lot of uh, empathetic leadership. I'm not perfect, but I think I'm working on, you know, creating more of that empathetic sort of the uh, servant leadership kind of a environment where everyone's being able to, um, you know, come together, respecting one another, but yet there's uh, less of hierarchy, but rather try to really build on the strength of each other. I think that's something that I kind of bring to the table. Um, but like I said before, uh, when I describe my, my animal type, you know, being an eagle, being the most closer to it, I think I do have that, the balance between um, really the tactical execution, being very anal about details, but kind of knows how to step back and look at the big picture. Sure. And, and let the kind of team take it in, in terms of the uh, stepping into the uh, part that they have to step in. So I think, you know, over time, again, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it is a great question, but I don't know if I can tell this is the one thing I do the best, sure. but I think it's more of a situation by situation. Yep. Um, so in that sense, maybe adaptability, maybe the one of the quality that I maybe bring to the table that I know how to, you know, wear the hat of marketing if I need to and talk to the marketing terms, right? Uh, wear the technology hat to talk about, you know, zero and ones of, right? Uh, or development cycles or challenges with that. Uh, or wear sometimes a business hat just to think like a CEO. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a you know you know very incredible asset to any designers who are you know, thinking about getting into the corporate design environment. Yeah, I like I like that. I think um, the reason why um, I guess it's not so black and white as an answer is because you are describing such uh, an endpoint that a lot of designers. Um, potentially want to be in later on in their careers. Right. Um, you've just described the aspect of uh, CEO responsibilities, managing yeah. teams, interpreting briefs and delegating the right strategy to mm -hmm. um, make that project um, a success, I guess, you know, action, right. action steps. And I think um, fundamentally all of this, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, it all comes back to uh, I guess the user experience, um, right. of a product or service, again, as you've already mentioned from a commercial standpoint, um, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, and Ram, I think that you bring up an excellent point. I think, you know, we, as a practitioner, whether we call ourselves user experience designer, right. Or, or, or it comes with a lot of different title, but mm. you know, when you think about doing that as your work. Yeah, there's a principles by which user-centered design is standing for, right? That they're creating this user experience solutions. You really have to understand the users, right? And I think oftentimes I see um, we as designers don't practice that when it comes to a work, meaning that on the project level, we do think about persona, right? We do think about user research, understand the insight, all that, which is great. But when it comes to managing stakeholder or client, it just doesn't come in that way. And I always puzzled, why are we not practicing what we're preaching at work in, in your life, right? And I think that's where it comes down to a easy. And I think the only thing that in a way between someone who can do it and cannot do it is not because they're smarter. It's because they're really taking the heart of user experience design and what it is and then into their day-to-day -day life, right? I think that's what differentiates one from another one, I think. Yeah. Um, have you got any examples? 
about uh, something that's come to mind or that you've come across? You know, I think that, you know, I, I kind of deal with that every day. Um, for example, you know, um, not too long ago, um, at current my job, um, we had this uh, incredible amount of conversation around, um, you know, trying to right, rebrand or try to build the brand equity around in what we call the, uh, the Internet of Things, right? When you look at the Internet of Things, uh, sometimes the brand uh, presence is being challenged, right? Um, I think great example is Uber, right? Uber is actually flipping the entire equation of experience where now stars become the Uber experience, right? All you have to do is look at the stars, give the five stars, and you hop out of the car. That's it. And everything else becomes in the background. So, so in that conversation with a multi-cross-functional team of marketing, business, right? What are we going to do? You know, when you look at it from a design perspective, or it is something about or even marketing, something about we got to have our brand logo, right? Brand logo is something that creates affinity, therefore we got to have it. And so then I'm start wearing the different hat, different hat as an Uber hat, right? Or as an example, right? Or the merchants or third party hat on. Hey, can you think about for a second what this third party client or merchant is trying to accomplish? And then can we look at from their angle and then see if we can answer the question from our side that will complement to what they're trying to do versus insisting on our point of view. I mean, that's just a one small example, but to me, that's the type of dialogue that does not happen all the time. Mm. And I think partly because designers start wearing my designer hat. And of course, when you think about designer's hat, you have to put a brand somewhere, right? If you're working for, I mean, we're using Skype right now. If you don't see the Skype logo on the upper right corner right now, right, hmm. then you wouldn't know that this is a Skype application, right? Sure. And, but I think, I think that's where it fundamentally comes down to, do you know what, which hat do you need to wear at what given time hmm. to not necessarily compromise, but try to understand better about the situation you try to solve. And I think, you know, it doesn't really you know, start with the designer, but if the designer can start the conversation, I think it makes a lot of difference in conversation with other you know, organizations. Yeah, mate, that's a, that's a really great example. I guess it comes down to uh, asking the right questions. Um, yeah. You know, and for the most part, uh, as designers, um, uh, many, many designers, especially starting out, I certainly did. I was looking at it from my point of view when that was mm -hmm. completely wrong. Um, I should be asking the uh, end user um, who is going to receive that communication. Um, right. So I'm going to ask you now, um, what inspired you to pursue this path that you're that you you're on, and what excites you today about UX and and this whole, I guess, plethora of technology technology <laughs> and and capabilities. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a actually. Little hard question for me, and you know how to ask those, those tough questions. So uh, <laughs> I give you credit to that. Um, you know what really inspired me to pursue this path was, you know, it's more or less of a. Let me start with this one. I think design is something. I use the word capital design, right? Capital D. You know, design is something that we as a human being innately knows how to do it every day. In right. other words. Every day, every day that we do whatever, you know, brushing teeth or right, waking up from the bed, right, going to the bathroom or eating or, you know, choosing what to eat from the refrigerator, we're actually designing our life every day. So design to me is something that we are born with. It's a gift 
the human being has. So the fact that I chose to be professional designer, to me, it's almost like getting a free sort of like a, you know, the, the gift that I was born with, if you know what I mean. So, so to me, to answer that question, it isn't not so much about what inspired me, but rather I sort of revisit the existence of myself as a designer the day I was born. And then as I was cultivated to become from toddler to, you know, kids to, you know, teenager to, you know, now, you know, adult and grown up, I think you start to picking up other senses, other tools that better either design your life or your career. So I think it's more of a natural progression mm. as someone that I don't discern myself as anything special, but rather a same as you are, Ram, that just happened to be, you know, decided to invest my time and life in just cultivating mm. the innate skill set that I have was born with. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of how I, you know, but to, to really cultivate in a right way, you know, I always look at other you know, inspirational uh, speakers or other successful individuals or other, you know, the nature, right? I do get quite a bit of inspiration from just watching the nature. Mm. Um, because when you look at that, it's just a create creation of something that, you know, basically God have created. And, and when you look at that, it has a beauty, it has the colors, it has the texture, it has the shape that we can all draw that into the whatever we're designing, whether software UI or you know, hardware UI. Mm. And I think that's a lot of those things that are just given to us. So my way of being inspired or inspired to pursue my career as a designer is really about, you know, go back to basics, right? Mm. Basics of, you know, understand who I am and understand what I do now, because I was given that, right? The innate skill set or knowledge and then surrounding myself around um, the natural environment, natural, beautiful objects that, right, Mm. um, that we know. Or if we don't have access to it, then try to understand where to go to expose yourself to that type of environment. Yeah. And part of that is, you know, as you asked all your question about the fact that I was born in Korea and then moved, right? And I lived in Italy for a short time when I was at Whirlpool, uh, traveled all around the world for business and, you know, uh, personal. And when you're kind of exposing yourself to different cultures and different demographics and geographics, you're really now consuming a lot of this natural gift and ideas and inspiration that that sometimes people decide to use Google to find it. Mm. Um, in my case, I decided to actually go out and experience. And I think that's culminated and supported by all those. I think it's essentially what allowed me to inspire and continue to pursue the down the path of what I'm at today. Yeah, that's that's unreal, mate. I um I think uh you've you touched on a very important topic there, which is um self-awareness. And, uh, mm. your own personal, uh, consciousness to, to trust in your, uh, in your own reflections and inward, um, decisions to, to create that path as well. You know, it's, it exists within us. We are all in, in my mind as well. We're all, um, born with a certain, um, uh, natural ability to some extent, right. but if we don't feed that seed or water that right, rather, exactly. you know, it, it kind of just dies within us. So, um, that's cool. I really, I really love that. Um, so let's move into, um, something that you said actually, um, off air, uh, you said something <laughs> that really struck a chord in me. Uh, you said, I am a firm believer in experiencing the real world. Mm-hmm. 
in order to truly understand how to make a meaningful impact through user experience in various vertical or even integrated industries. Can you tell yeah. us more about this? Yeah, this is something that I'm really, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm very um, convinced. Um, and of course, there are different opinions about this point of view, but this is all going back to the fact that at the end of the day, as long as we call ourselves a user experience designer, right? That that or you are the designer that for designing experience, right? Yeah. If you look at the word experience, it is about tangible, right? Hands-on, right? You know, you feel by the skin, right? It isn't just about uh, things that you look at through the uh, windows of the digital medium, right? And I think, it, you know. The example is that, you know, when I was going through multiple of those companies, I didn't know that that was all part of the plan, right? But now looking back, because I was so integrated into the healthcare, right? Building a software and product together, which I call integrated product. And then the Whirlpool building the first generation of all the flagship with the touchscreen products, where you have to, however, understand the cost structure, right? to know why that little thing called a digital display costs so much because most of designers don't think about that. They think about designing a beautiful pixel or a beautiful experience. But when you do understand the cost, how much it costs to build that product, right? Mm. And how the digital plays a role, it's a huge reflection of what the role of designer should be. Um, in, because at the end of the day, right, designer is something that is, is a complementing function in the larger organizational setting where you bring unique skill set, but not to delay, not to derail the in terms of path that you're on. Your, your, your job is there to help company to produce the product, product that you know, you're just going to be able to appreciate and use. So, so I think uh, you know, when I go through that, you know, the Whirlpool experience with the uh, understanding cost structure, something that I just always respect what I have gained and then eBay, PayPal, understand the, what that means by A-B testing, right? Pushing every pixel to get a one more percentage of conversion, right? And how that conversion equates into dollars of in, in terms of revenue. But then going into Samsung, designing for the first, you know, wearable watch, right? Gear, gear fit, right? And what really goes into building the wearable, right? Uh, and, and how the design play a role in shaping their vision. Um, and the business strategy, which now becomes successful roadmap for the Samsung to continue on. It just, that's kind of what I meant by, if you haven't really exposed yourself into that environment and designing that system, right? You will never understand what it really takes. And I think a lot of things that we see nowadays around us um, that has a hypes, right? We have this, you know, XYZ company doing this, um, but at the end of the day, yes, we can relate to it by looking at blogs, you know, reading the articles, right? But the problem is that that's another interpretation of someone's interpretation. Hmm. Yeah. And, and to me, as it gets down the thread of, you know, social media, it gets diluted. By the time it gets to you, you taking your stance of interpretation. Well, that's not the experience design. Experience design is about, <clears throat> you know, like how you talked about earlier too, you know, User research, right? You go out there, right? You talk to users, you you watch how they behave, and then you draw an insight. Hmm. Well, designing the experience is the same thing. You have to be exposing. So if you're building a say next generation commerce platform, right, as an example, 
then you do really have to understand, go to the local market, right? And you do have to understand what it means to be shipment of good is being delivered in a docking station from docking station to truck, truck driver to a point B and then offloading from the truck, right? And then station, uh, staging into the you know shelves of the store and then some type of marketing to draw the customer, right? You got to understand the entire channel to design the platform that will work in a digital manner. And I think to me, it's sometimes unfortunate to see a lot of designers are smart designers who just overlooking at those um, environmental factors or the, the real life scenarios. They yeah. think that digital is able to solve all problems. And I think, you know, I would argue that, uh, you know, some of the successful products that we see nowadays is done by designers or business people that who actually have been either exposed or experienced a problematic, right, situations. And I think Uber is the one case that where, you know, he himself always questioned every time he get on the cab, right, why the cab experience is such a lousy with the, with the money that I spent on. And I think those things are trigger a sense of realism about solution that they're trying to go after. So that's kind of what I meant by, you know, experience the real world is it's almost a precondition or a prerequisite. If if you are the type of designer who really inspired to become someone that who's gonna not just building a small you know box of you know user user experience, but they really try to make an impact, profound impact in a certain industry, then you do have to invest yourself in understanding that industry. And, yeah. and just give you one more example, you know, this is a true story. When I finished my school at CMU, um, you know, everyone looking for a job, right? And, and I chose to go to GE, um, you know, and, and everyone in my class actually told me, you're crazy. Hmm. Um, you know, when everyone else is trying to go to West Coast, right? Back then, Yahoo was the D company to work for, and, and, and you're going against the norm. Um, but to me, I was curious about why is it that everyone hates healthcare, right? Well, there's gotta be reason. And I realized if I do go and understand a little bit about what it is really that need to be done in healthcare, I will have a lot to say about it. Hmm. Um, and then in exchange for maybe three or four years of commitment, right? For you to really understand the industry. But boy, now I really, really feel like I was lucky. I made a right decision because now, you know, it is an industry that is poised to be exploded, right? I mean, healthcare industry is some of the big, big industry and they're still struggling. Mm. And partly because I think people are just afraid of getting into that, you know, what it appeared to be B2B, right? Mm -hmm. The enterprise is sort of like a business, but that's where to me, once you get there, there's so much opportunity that once you just tap into few, the return on investment is so huge. So, so something that you just don't see it, you know, day to day, uh, working in other areas of B two C products. Yeah, mate. Oh, I was just uh, tingling all over when you said all of that stuff. Um, where do I begin? I think number one, back earlier with what you said, um, the responsibility really struck a chord in me. That that idea that we have a greater responsibility as a designer. Uh, you really highlighted that about uh, the cost aspect. Mm -hmm. Super important. I completely agree. It's not just about, oh, hey, I've created something really cool. So just go ahead and make it. Um, clients don't work that way. Right. You know, the reality is there is a limited resource 
And you have to also be empathetic to the client's limitations. And, uh, you know, I've been learning that in business myself. Um, Number two that I really um, loved what you said about was um, this idea of reverse engineering. Um, You know, go into the markets. How is that product being shipped? Who is getting that product into the truck? What happens with that truck? Where does it go? Is it efficient? Can we have, is there a place there that we can improve so that it can get to the customers quicker? You know, all those thoughts have just run through my head and and I love that example. And the third is, um, is seeing opportunity. You know, you've really highlighted that by working at GE. And I think um, it's super important for those listening, um, whether you're an emerging designer, established designer, whether you're not even in the industry, it's important to understand that there are opportunities greater when there is not a rush of people going in that direction, you know? No, I mean, I mean, one thing that I would share with the audience here is that, and, and great summary, by the way, I mean, you said better than I did. So thank you for that. <laughs> no worries. Um, but here's the thing, like, you know, you have to experience the design before design the experience, if that makes sense. Mm. And to me, especially those um, audience who is still at a point where they're like three years, five years, right? Mm. Still at the beginning of their career being a designer. My advice to them is don't be afraid, right? Experience as as many industries as you can that your passions, you know, kind of force you to go, right? And expose yourself because at the end of the day, that investment of few years that you're going to do in your first 10 years of a career it's going to set the path for your next 20 years of a career. Mm. And I think with the wealth of information and acceleration of different industry, right, or the confluence of different industry coming together, you really have to, cannot wait, but to jump in and being able to experience. Because worst case, which is the best case, that you're going to learn something incredibly important that no one else can even able to uh, articulate. Yeah. Because you live through that either challenging environment or, or, or something that you just feel, ah, look at it. It's not as bad, guys, right? Like, for example, I have a couple of friends who's in the B2B, right? Salesforce type of, right? And, and a lot of people think that, oh, man, B2B, why are you going there? What are you going to design for, right? Not user, no user is going to look at it, right? Mm. You know, there's no portfolio to make, right? <laughs> it's, you know, they're looking, feels kind of boring, right? But that's where, think again, there must be a reason why that is difficult, Imagine if you're the person who can unlock it. Hmm. Wow, what are the experiences you can really create? And I think there are also things that audacious, like effort, right? The, the sort of the leadership that could emerge by having that determination. And I think I would just suggest that when your peers are telling you to go to south, hmm. try to try to go north and hmm. see what happens, and you won't you won't regret it. Yeah, I mean. I get a lot of questions related to this, and it's about. Um, this, this idea that, hey, Ram, if I start off here in this small little place that only does, you know, uh, real estate design, mm-hmm. um, you know, am I just going to be pigeonholed and be branded as a real estate corporate right. designer? And I, and I tell them, hold on a minute. Have you worked anywhere else? If this place is giving you an opportunity, not only are you going to be learning about that type of design, but you're going to know how to run a business. You know, a lot of people yeah. say, oh, but Ram, it's just a small little uh, company. Well, I'm, I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's even better. You get to be intimate with the business owners. That's you, right. you get to really 
have more of a say without 20 chefs in the kitchen. Yeah. And and again, it just it's just a matter of looking at that as an opportunity. So that's um that's super important. Yep. I'm glad that you you brought that up. Um, so we've covered you know some of the companies you work with. You've you've covered uh, some of the projects that you've been on, um, including mm-hmm. the the Samsung uh, first Samsung wearable watch and that type of thing. Um, are there any key learnings from from certain projects um, that you can let let us in on? I know that you're in yeah, you're I mean, in Visa now, but uh, yeah, I mean, in the past. I mean, I think uh, you know I kind of mentioned a little bit in the previous question, Ryan, but you know, I think you know the the way I would answer in terms of you know key learnings or key lessons learned, mm. you know, is really about it's kind of a preconditional statement, which is like you 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 can't expect to learn anything new unless you are exposing yourself or you're forced to expose yourself to the the industry that you, your minds are telling you, don't go, don't go, right? Mm. Uh, whether that means that, you know, whether you're such a corporate, like settled, right? You're comfortable, you know, the processes, right? But then somehow your mind's telling you, don't go to startup, right? <laughs> it's insta- instable, it's, it's not, you know, there's a one in a million chance you're going to get jackpot, right? <laughs> yeah. But to me, that's one signal that you need to take it, right? Because there's so much that you're going to learn, to your point, intimate right, relationship with one-on-one, right? Um, feel like everyone's contributing, hands-on. There's no, you know, layers of management, bureaucratic, right? Decision-making. Um, or you want to, you're hungry for big data, then you got to go to a company that has a big data. Even though work itself may not be meaningful, that's what you need to look for. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, it is about, from my experience, key lessons learned is every company that I was part of, I picked up one or two key lessons that I ended up accumulating over time. And I think to me, that's where, you know, I think the, my sort of the, um, where I'm at, right. I'm not saying I'm the you know smartest or best person in the world. I'm not, but because I learned what it means to be integrated product designer, right. At GE, what it means to be actually looking at the cost model before the building, the experience at Whirlpool, and have the empathy, right, for the manufacturing companies. And then being able to expose the data-driven, right, the conversion, every point is matters, the millions of dollars, like eBay, PayPal, um, and what it really means to use this, you know, kind of a data-driven, but yet bit of the uh, strategy, right, mm-hmm. around product and new category development at Samsung, right, and what it means to positioning it for the CEO mm. to actually understand and make a decision on the spot, right? And then Visa, of course, as a center of the fintech, right? Now I feel like I'm culminating every those little bits of key lessons mm. into the position that I'm in that able to use in a proper channel, uh, whether it's talking about big data or conversion or even a, a point of you know, understanding in the hardware software integration, which we do at time to time. Um, you know, some of the special occasions. Um, I think that's something that, you know, really brought out of my various exposures to different industries. And that's why I keep saying about, you know, you've got to experience before you design the experience. It's such a key uh, lesson to learn. And that those that who are willing to embrace it, I think it will be much likely to be successful because now you have something tangible to talk about versus a theoretical um, over the shoulder. I think I know versus a, I know. There's a yeah. huge difference between those two stands. Yeah, I think you described um, 
what it is to become a practical innovator very well there. And that was going to be my next question. And you've just, you've just summed that up. So uh, let's uh, jump to the next one. Um, that was awesome. All right. Uh, I wanted to quickly pick your brains on the idea of less is more. And actually, mm. there's a wonderful thought from Greg McEwen, who's a New York Times bestselling author of a book titled Essentialism, uh, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And he talks about this idea of less but better. And what springs to mind uh, when you hear those words, is there anything that, that comes to your mind with that thinking, less but better? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, something that I, you know, ponder many, many times. Mm. Um, so I haven't read his book, so maybe it's time for me to pick up it, pick it up and read <laughs> it. But, yep. you know, it totally resonates with me uh, about the fact that less is more but better, right? Mm. I mean, less but better, because this is my stance, again, based on my experience. You know, having less features, right, does not make the experience better. I think there's a lot of myth that designers have is, oh, we have this, say, 20 features that we are passed on from the product managers, right? And they're asking us to build this user interface. Having more features doesn't make it better, right? Right. Yeah. And then, but then, so then designers were thinking, is, okay, then can we start reducing down to 20 to, say, 15, right? By reclustering it or reorganizing it from IA perspective, whatever, right? All the tricks that you know how to do it, and then we think that we achieve something better, that that experience has to be better. And, and that's to me is a myth because just because you reduced the amount of features down to a fewer does not allow you to think that that is a better experience. But instead, because if you think about it, you know, how often we hear the word friction and friction is becomes the designer's best enemy, right? We don't like friction. We want to remove friction, but there are actually positive friction that you do want to intentionally want to build, whether that's intentional number of clicks that you want to add to it. Why? Because in some of the product experiences around security, right? Um, you do want to definitely ask users to take step by step and removing any of those steps in the name of less, right? Is more is very dangerous assumption. Mm-hmm. Whereas some other products and services, indeed reducing those is ill into the higher, you know, satisfaction on user experience. Um, so this is this is an example, but I do like the less but better because what it actually implies to me is that, admitting the fact that friction is all over, but how are you going to optimize those existing solutions so that it can be repositioned to be the better, right, and the highly usable and highly desirable products and experiences? And to me, that's the really the the one that resonates a lot with my experience as well, um, because there are a lot of products that I intentionally, <clears throat> I intentionally built the friction. Hmm. And in, in the world of, you know, fintech, um, since you live in Australia, you know, there are something called the 3DS, where every time you make a transaction, another layer comes up to ask you to verify the information. Um, you know, most of consumers in that region accept that as a norm experience. And when you present that experience to the here in North America, people go a little crazy hmm. thinking that why that layers of experience is needed. Hmm. Um, so it isn't so much about less is more or less is better, but it's about understanding the context hmm. and then understand again, the user needs around the context and then determine, but at the end, the goal of designers isn't 
you know, debating about this whole, you know, theoretical, you know, uh, assertion around, right? Um, you know, less is more or less is better. But at the end of the day, that's why I'm resonating with this, you know, uh, this expression of better because better really represents the optimization. Mm. Because in the, old, in the world of um, innovations or, you know, evolution or revolutionary products, you know, how often you really, you know, hit a home run and, and revolutionizing the industry, very rare. But a lot of product innovation you see is all evolved from one version to another version. But by whoever can optimize and make it better than before, that's where the consumer feels they are falling in love with their products and services. Mm. So I think that's where it's not so much about quantity, number of features or right amount of content, amount of information, but it's about what is the problem you try to solve and then determine, can I make it? less of that feature X, sure, that's better, but that shouldn't be a goal. I think the goal should be, can I, whatever I do, can I make it better than the one that was before? And as long as you make towards that goal, I think that's the right path. And I think that's to me, the less but better is something that I really resonate a lot with the day-to-day work that I do and the mentality I bring to the table. Yeah, that's really well said. Thanks for that, Kevin. Um, now, have you got any words of advice for those that are wanting to pursue the path of a UX designer specifically? Yeah. Um, you know, I always have a lot of those kind of conversation with my own designers or others who's just you know approaching to me and then ask that question. Mm. You know, my advice to them is, has been always, you got to develop left brain and right brain. Um, and that's my first kind of advice and suggestion to any, anybody who uh, wanted to pursue a path of UX designers. Because, you know, unlike in the past, you know, UX design, therefore artistic value, right, aesthetic value, those are still the fundamental parts of what makes a great designer, right? You have to have that sense of sensibility. But more and more, because of confluence of different industry and confluence of different disciplines start to happen and melding together, you really start to not really differentiate yourself from another one. Um, I mean, for example, you know, you know, how often I, mean, I have experience, how often do you experience when non-designer come up with better ideas and, and make you feel like, oh man, I should have done that too. Right. And it does happen. <laughs> it happens. It's happened. Yeah. Many happen. times to me. It's, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's okay because the good ideas can come from anybody. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that UX designers, someone who's thinking about, needs to realize is that you are not in the exclusive club of this, right? Uh, thinkers and then creative, create, creative doors. You do play a role in shaping up the experience and the vision of the product. But the ideas, because ideas can come from anybody, you do have to really start to balance left brain, right brain, a functionality, uh, meaning that back to what I said earlier, you know, if you are excited about to be a designer, you have that type of skill set already. Mm. You can cultivate, you can make it better, but I would suggest to invest time in cultivating the other side of the brain, whether thinking analytically, that's very important, even from a designer perspective, or even from a training yourself to become more um, good at public speaking. I think how often, you know, to me, I see a lot of great designers uh, flop mm-hmm. at the last minute when they're standing in front of 
you know, CEO or um, executive, you know, leadership team, and they just couldn't speak. Hmm. And so when you cannot articulate your experience, you're really not able to sell your idea, anything beyond than what you have created. And I think that's another thing that I always encourage everyone to think that, you know, you know, the emphasizing your design skill set is definitely, you know, important, but equally spend amount of time in, you know, really improving on other areas that you wouldn't consider as an, a day-to-day designer's job. Because at the end of the day, designers are doing a lot of uh, presentation. Mm. Designers are a lot of doing a lot of persuasion, um, influencing, and facilitation. And those are the things that you really don't pick it up from school. Uh, you know, school curriculum is not set up to actually teach you that. Uh, they teach you bells and whistle in terms of how to design better, right? User experience, how to build a website, how to build a mobile app. But that's where you need to pick it up if you are considering to be, you know, becoming a UX designers. Yeah. That will be my advice. That's great. That's really great advice. And and um, at at the moment, uh, we won't dive into uh, right brain, left brain in too much detail. But if you want to know more. <laughs> Uh, I've personally read a ton about that stuff, so I know exactly what Kevin's talking about. Um, but uh, if you guys obviously want to learn more about that, uh, feel free to Google and read some of some reputable resources online. Um, now, I wanted to jump into uh, what you look for if you see someone's online portfolio, website, or uh, when you're hiring a designer of any type, what, what do you look for? Yeah, so... Um, the way I would describe is, you know, um, Ram, how often do you realize and surprise by yourself when you look at the beautiful objects, right? Or just inspiring services or experiences. If you carefully observe yourself or people around you, how they universally react, Hmm. there's no words that come out of their mouth. There's a a silence, right? There's, there's that enjoyment of this, that moment, right? Because you're so embraced by that overwhelm of the uh, beautiful experience. Mm. And so to me, to me, that's kind of how I look at it as a when design is doing their job in creating the experience, the way it's supposed to, you know, act, right, or function or um, communicate, you really don't have much to talk about other than I call it ah moment, right? Yeah. You look at things and go, ha. Ah. It's like you go to the wonders of like nature and then you look at it and go, wow, this is great. But then the words cannot describe. And then that's to me, the, the, that's the people's emotion, right? Emotions are something that you can't really put the words around it. Mm. So when I look at the portfolio or any, you know, sort of the, uh, the, the, the new designers who wants to be, I also look at their online portfolio and, and, and I just ask myself, what do I see? And it isn't just about critiquing every single one of them, but rather to watch the composition. Um, here's, here's a practical tip for those that who are looking for, you know, landing their first job in any company that they want to work for. Spend a lot of time designing your resume and online portfolio as if that's a product, finished product, meaning that you're about to sell your resume and portfolio to not to the employer, but to consumers. Mm. And, 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 and by the way, this consumer have a, a, a not just yours, but has a thousands of those similar products that they can choose from. Mm. So at the end of the day, it's almost like treating that design philosophy or design principles 
or user-centered design or human-centered design thinking in designing your resume and portfolio, because at the end of the day, you want that universal reaction from employer by looking at their resume, hit, hit your resume or portfolio saying, ah, this mm. is good. Because your success is not to force them to drill down on detail, mm. but stay at a 10,000 feet from where they're at because the experiential right, is so done well, is crafted well, it's built in a way that feels like good. It's almost like a, you know, we have this expression at the visa right now where the way we measure success is a little joke. So it's not something that we use as a business, but <laughs> we say, if it's a lickable, right, it is good design. <laughs> Meaning that it's so good that you want to lick your screen. Um, <laughs> and we that. have a little, you know, joke, but that's kind of a, you know, it really down to your human language, right? Mm. I mean, how often you start really hugging something because you love that thing, right? Yeah. Hugging is supposed to be done through human being, right? Yeah. It's a universal language. But how often are you hugging your phone or hugging your car, hugging your teddy bear, right? The non-human parts, because that's how you show affection, right? Yeah. And emotions that you have that words cannot describe. And so I kind of take that, again, natural, behavioral way I'm, the way I'm kind of evaluating things around me into the uh, portfolios and resumes. So I really suggest that that those individuals to be really looking at seriously about not just typos and alignment and layout, mm. but it's really about if this is a product that you're building as a startup, mm. what would you do differently? Because at the end of the day, you need to be stand out from the rest of the crowd, but also you want to create this universal reaction from an audience or the employer saying, wow, it's good. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's something that a lot of people aren't focusing on. And that's in part because they're, they think that focusing on very tactical stuff is where they're going to get the job. And, and, and sometimes it does, but most time, again, me, I have almost daily, if not every week, I got like piles of different resumes coming in from recruiter. Mm. I don't have time to look at it, but I look at it, right? Like one second at a time. And then those resumes that stands out, I put it aside. Mm. Why? Because as a designer, I want resume to speak to me the same language and same emotions that I'm looking for, right? Yep. And I think that's something that I think a lot of designers aren't spending enough time. Uh, I think because they are not treating that as their product. They're just a tool, right, to get their job. Um, and I think that's something that needs to be changed. Yeah, mate, that's um, that's really cool. I actually did a class, uh, two classes actually, one uh, on creativelive.com there in San Francisco. And um, they invited me over there to uh, do a class on creating a knockout portfolio. And for those mm -hmm. listeners who haven't seen me on there, um, go on and check out creativelive.com. But um, I simplified the entire class with four segments. And that was, the first segment was uh, personal analysis. And it was mm -hmm. defining who you are. What do you want? Yeah. Uh, what's stopping you from getting it? Because everything that comes out from you starts with defining yourself. Um, yeah, absolutely. And the second is uh, that consumer experience that you described, the, that customer experience. Right. So defining your customer experience. Um, so that's the whole second segment. Um, yeah. And then the, the third segment is about uh, creating your portfolio uh, mm -hmm. itself, actually building yep. that 
appropriately. And then the sec- the last, uh, the fourth p- portion is about uh, uh, bringing that to life and getting it out there for the world to see. But, you know, this, this experience that you described, that one second where you just said, uh, you know, the ones that speak to me, you know, yeah. there's a real thought in if it feels wrong to you while you're creating your portfolio, if it feels exactly. wrong, then it's because it is wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? If, if it feels cluttered yeah. or something's yeah. not like, if it's not fluid enough, it's, right. it's wrong. You, you, you've got to fix yeah. it. You know, that's an and, instinctive and, you know, feeling. Yeah, and, and something that's similar, but it's a different example, but I think it would be very helpful tips and advice to those listening. You know, also email, right? Mm. There's an art of creating email, uh, crafting email. And, and in the business world is where I said earlier about designing this to, you know, balance left brain, right brain, right? Yeah. You know, being able to not only speak the language is important, but being able to articulate as short sentence as possible in an email when someone can write paragraphs and novel in an email, yeah. Um, when someone can say the same thing in one paragraph, even less than one paragraph, right, right. That's art, uh, mastery of designing, right? Absolutely. And so, you know, and to your point, I absolutely agree. Where only way you're gonna get there is not anything special than spending time critically reviewing every single detail. So in this case of email, every time I send some important email to upper, you know, uh, executive members, right? I spend hours just crafting every language, every sentence, make sure that am I confusing, you know, the audience or am I getting to a point or, or am I getting too harsh or too aggressive, right? Mm. You got to calibrate. And just like you're saying, you know, if a portfolio and resume doesn't feel right to you, you got to spend more time. And that's the only way you're going to perfect the experience. And that's part of the designing, right? That's part of the user experience. It isn't about hitting a home run at a first shot. It rarely happens, but most of the time it's iteration after iteration, right? Mm. So it's an iterative cycle, which we are supposed to do that at work. Again, same thing. Are you doing that in designing your own life, right? Or, you know, crafting your resume or portfolio. Yeah. Um, and that's, I, that's where, right? Yeah, I actually um, am so happy that you brought up the importance of crafting the the right email or, or an email that will get a response. Um, and from an overarching point of view, it does come from uh, not enough thought. Therefore, people are just writing the way that they're thinking and right. they think that that's good enough. Um, you know, I think... Um, I, I cover this in my book, um, how to get a job as a designer. And, and I, I mm-hmm. actually break down the anatomy of a perfect mm-hmm. email that has worked for me. And it's, and it's something that has, that has taken me over a decade to, to yeah. get to that point of knowing right. what works, what doesn't. And it is about the succinctness, the, the, um, deliberateness of your yeah. words, your, um, ability to choose words, there are words yeah. that actually sum up paragraphs with one word, you know? Yeah. And it is a skill that takes time because I'm preempting questions that a lot of listeners are, are probably thinking right now. They're thinking, oh, but Ram and Kevin, how do you guys even learn how to write that? <laughs> well, I would say, yeah, but- you know, how do you learn anything? You know, you've got to, well, you've got to try it out. You've got to, you've got to yeah, test and learn. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, but most important thing as a designer, because we're talking about designers, right? We're not right. talking about marketing or business person. Yeah. 
the designers are unique in a way that we've been either taught mm. or we are just born with it, like I told you before. Mm. But as soon as you're able to tap into your innate skill set, which is like we're supposed to think from a user perspective, right? Mm, that's right. And we've never been taught to think from our perspective. That's what differentiates designer from the rest of the discipline. So when it comes to anything else that we are doing outside of designing something actually product-wise, that's where I said earlier and said over and over, those who can bridge that gap by bringing the consistent practice to do crafting and to do understand the, who I'm about to send this email to, right? And then think from their perspective. You don't know that person intimately, but put yourself in their shoes mm. and then thinking that I'm about to get this email, right? That is sent from me. What emotion that you want me to have, right? Mm. And if that emotion is pro provoking a, a negative, well, that's then wrong email. Either yeah. tone is wrong or a message is too, right? Um, challenging. I think that's something that, again and again, I think, if you are serious about being a designing a great experience, then go back to the basics of, do you understand your user? Mm -hmm. And if you don't, or haven't answered that, well, good news is now you know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. You know how to analyze user's needs and then being able to craft this beautiful experience, whether it's email, online portfolio, or resume mm -hmm. in a way that will create this emotion that you want that individual to have. And I think that's the magic, yet it's a very simple practice that I think a lot of people should be able to do that today. Yeah, mate, that gets me really excited, all of this stuff. Um, and I'm sure the listeners are, are incredibly happy to, to hear that from you as well. Um, so we've only got a couple questions now. Um, we mentioned the importance of traveling earlier in this conversation and experiencing other cultures um, is, is key to the progression of any type of designer. Um, mm -hmm. How has your experience been when you've, when you've traveled to other countries? Um, you know, I think the... Every time I go travel for business or, you know, personal, you know, I always, like I said before, you know, I always try to look for those physical sort of, uh, you know, cues, if you want to call that way, right? The, the things that speak to you, um, because every time you go, you know, I've been to many different countries in Asia and Europe and, and, and it, it is different. I mean, even the same continent, right? The different country has different cultural, ritual, um, or even a, a mannerism, right? It, it's very different, right? Some of, some of them are just ignoring you, and but that's their culture. It's not like they're being mean to you, right? So I'm trying to kind of pick, pick up as much as I can um, without dwelling too much, meaning that, you know, you know, sometimes you have this anxiety where you want to feel like you're a local person. Hmm, yeah. Well, you can't. Only way you're going to be like a local person is live in that, state for, I don't know, three, four, five years, right? Right. Uh, sometimes even then it's not still enough or sufficient for you to think like you're local, right? Mm. Um, but I think it's really about combination about, like you said earlier, and I talked about it, you know, when you have a chance, you know, go out, right? When you have an opportunity, take it and just don't look back. Meaning that, you know, sometimes planning for overseas trip for, especially for personal, right? It's a lot of investment, right? I mean, even going to Disney World is a lot of investment. So imagine going to the overseas. But when you have that financial support, right, mm -hmm. that you know you can do, 
then just go because when you go with your own background, you're almost melding two different cultural clash, but into the beautiful harmony. Mm. Because if you're bringing this, you know, say, you know, you're Australian, so you come to Korea, for example, right? You bringing that innate Australian standards about the way of life, right? Then the moment you get into the airport, you're going to start to smack into the Korean culture of starting with the environment, mm. right? traffics, people, you know, the clothing, right? Fashion, food, right? Smell, right? So when you start to pull that thing to, together, I think that's where you start to really realize, wow, there's something unique about it. And I think a lot of people that I travel together for business, sometimes you see this very uh, unfortunate reaction where, oh, right? That's no. <laughs> and I do that too, right? And every time I do that, I'm trying to pull myself uh, back. Ew, I'm not going to eat chicken intestines. Well, exactly. But, <laughs> but you, when, you, when you understand, you know, why they're doing it, right? Mm. How that is culturally, you know, uh, appropriate, you start to have, uh, I don't know if a sense of appreciation, but in this sense of empathy, mm. right? At least you try to understand them versus rejecting them. And I think that's a very important um, the thing that I'm always bring to every time I travel overseas is not a sense of rejection, but rather a sense of embrace, right? Mm. The, the, at least the parts of the, what they're doing. Uh, and then so that when I come back, I have that sense of realization of confluence of different culture um, and then being able to uh, extract an insight, insight that perhaps could help me someday because um, you never know, right? Your life can turn different takes and then the, sometimes you do have to equip yourself with those, those knowledge because you may know, uh, you may find yourself in that situation one day mm. because the company may ask you to, hey, Ram, can you go to Korea and work for there for three years? Mm. But if you weren't prepared or if you're not willing to embrace that cultural clash, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's where um, a lot of uh, people struggle. And so to me, you know, um, that's something that I always, you know, try to not necessarily enjoy, but try to pick up, you know, as I go through the street or, you know, drive through the traffic or, you know, get into the, you know, public transportation, just to experience the local yeah. kind of a flavor of that. Um, it's a very important insight for designers to pick up. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, increasing your threshold and, and capacity to, to uh, I guess, invest in your left and right brain, as we were talking about earlier as well. Yep. Um, so a question I ask most of my guests, if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to junior Kevin Lee, perhaps the uh, Kevin finishing high school, what would you tell him? Uh, yeah, um, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, and maybe the one of those most unexpected answer, but uh, just being honest, transparent, mm. uh, keep your integrity. Um, over um, any lucrative opportunities, uh, anything that luring you to do things or say things. Uh, because at the end of the day, lessons I learned from my own mistakes mm. is when you're not being honest and transparent, it, you, you may think that you're gaining something, but you're actually not. You're actually losing a lot of things that you will realize you know, in numbers of years later. So my advice to Kevin Lee Jr., right, mm. if I you know, time capsule and go back, is, dude, whatever you do, wherever you are, tell the truth. Yes, truth hurts, but it will not going to um, pull you down. Mm. It's always going to raise you up because, remember, people are genuinely good. Mm. They want to be surrounded by individuals who they can trust, who they can depend on. And that starts with being honest, 
either your position of you know, propaganda, right? When you're designing something, mm. everyone has their subjectivity around it. But when you are grounding yourself around data um, or, 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 or qualitative or quantitative right, information and the insight that you have gained, then stick to it because, you know, you rather want to stick to the belief based on those grounded, you know, information than speculative because you heard someone talking about, hey, this is what's happening in the other side of the world. Um, and therefore, oh, yeah, that sounds good because that's something that I've been talking about. You know, it, it is something that you could sway to say that a lot of things. But this is what I said earlier about you need to experience the, you know, the design before the design experience. Mm. Uh, you is coming back to that same thing that, you know, in the world of, you know, the ambiguity and, 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 and actually conflicting agendas and then different opinions that are proliferated everywhere, you know, you know, where do you want to take your stance, right? Mm. Do you want to take a stance on things that you so believe in, not because you're egotistic or, you know, hard-headed, but rather you really experienced, therefore keep it honest, right? Mm. And this means that also, you know, being able to stand up for uh, some of the senior executive members, you know, a lot of people bend their position just to get by, right? Mm. But I learned from my own mistakes that when you do able to stand up, they may hate you a little bit because they they're not they're not list, they're not hearing what they want to hear. Mm. But sooner or later, they will realize how that honest feedback or transparent um, you know agenda that you bring to the table, they see that motivation behind. And I think that's something that I will always tell myself or my children or anybody. And that's something that I'm doing at Visa right now is, you know, as I'm building the team, teams growing quickly, expanding geographic locations um, in Singapore, um, you know, Austin and Seattle and here in San Francisco, you know, I always tell my team, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to be honest about what your agendas looks like, because you, that's where it's going to help bring the team together, because you can disagree with a lot of things. But when you're grounded yourself on that sense of transparency, then you will you will carry you through that challenging moments and then those situations. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something that I would tell myself um, if I can go back in time, because then it will shorten my mistakes. <laughs> and so I may be in a different place now, um, doing other things. But um, but nonetheless, I think that's something that I will always take to my heart yeah. and mate, try to be um, honest as possible. That's really special what you just shared to us there, mate. So thank you. I um I can definitely feel you on that. Um, people people are everything, you know. And uh, the moment that you damage that, you're not just damaging your own personal brand, although that's important. But everyone that you meet, you know, and it's right. uh it's that whole um idea that. Uh, uh, like-minded people, um, you know, you, you attract that, that type of people. And, you know, I think, uh, it's, it's contributes to your happiness, doesn't it? So, I mean, definitely can testify to, to that. And, uh, I might, might steal that answer <laughs> I mean, from you as well. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing that uh, I can relate to back to the design, since it's all about design is, you know, when you're designing a beautiful experience, right. I talked about the universal reaction I'm looking for myself, right? Mm. There are not a descriptive like languages, but rather just like, ha, that's really good, right? Um, but if you design the right experience, that experience does not lie to you, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. When you, whenever you see the great experience, great products, that product experience or service experience does not deceive you or does not you know, mistreat you. It's just being direct. 
Yeah. And I think that's to me the core of designing for user experience is about when you're being authentic about your motivation to build certain applications or the products or hardware software. And when you stick to that principles, which we call it design principles, right? Then the output, if it's all executed seamlessly and flawlessly, universally users are able to look at it and go, yes, because that's the magic and that's the essence of design that that no one else can manipulate or, or modify because mm. design is itself is supposed to be authentic language that connects the two human being in an in a emotional way. And I think to me, we often overanalyze, overengineering design into so much complicated theories and processes, but I try to keep it simple. The beautiful, successful design experience is bring people closer, emotionally connected, and therefore reduce the amount of conversation other than like it, love it. Hmm. Or what else can you say when you say love it? I mean, you don't say to your wife, I love you, honey. Oh, by the way, here are the you know, descriptive right things. <laughs> I love you is the one that accepts and being accepted yeah. universally. Yeah. And I think that's uh, something that we should do it in design every day. Man, that's uh, beautifully articulated. Um, so what's next for you? What's next for Visa? Uh, over the next couple of years, what can we expect? Yeah. Um, you know, mate, I wish I know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think all this uh, career progressions has been uh, done in my life in a way that I actually didn't plan. Mm. So things just happened uh, in front of me. Um, and, you know, you know, I'm a firm believer of, you know, you know, um, of, of my destiny being, you know, um, being monitored and created and guided by you know, um, uh, you know, God. So I really feel like, you know, all I have to do is fulfill what I had to do every day. Like I said, back to the, what I said earlier, you know, be authentic, honest, and transparent, but also you know, have empathy for everything that I do, people that I interact with and true to myself and true to the team and people that I work with, um, and, and focusing on, um, what I can leverage from my, you know, skill set and leadership that I have gained over the course of many years and just, you know, if I do it every day, um, the uh, opportunity will open up and I don't know what that will look like, but, um, if I do know, I'll let you know. <laughs> That's sure cool. That's perfect. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, mate, where, where can listeners get in touch with you online? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm pretty much simple guy. So LinkedIn is my only way that people can find me. I don't do Facebook, Twitters, uh, Instagram. I closed it all up, uh, many years ago. So just look me up in the LinkedIn, you'll find me. Um, you'll see my uh, illustration of uh, my face that one of my designers have done many uh, years ago. Yeah. Um, people think that that actually reminds of my physical, my, my true face, and now you see me and that has a lot of resemblance to it. So uh, seeing is believing. Uh, so um, that's <laughs> me and uh, yeah. Cool. Can, so guys, if, that. if you want to connect with Kevin, just uh, maybe don't leave the default uh uh, caption there when you connect with him. Just say uh, that you've found him through this podcast. Um, I think uh, Kevin uh, would really appreciate that as well. Um, so uh, Kevin, thanks so much for hanging out with us on the Giant Thinkers podcast uh, and for sharing your sure. story. This was a little longer, uh, but for good reason than my other podcasts. Um, you know, you had so much to share and I had so many questions for you. So it means a lot to me <laughs> and I'm sure the listeners right, um, to hear about your story. So uh, I'm excited to see more of the, the work you're producing and, and wish you continued happiness and success. 
All right. Thanks, Ryan, for invitation. Again, uh, thanks for the opportunity to share a little bit of my story. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Goodness me, how good was that? Thank you so much for hanging out with me here. I know that was a longer than average episode, but I'm sure you can appreciate why. More importantly, I do hope that you're finding this podcast useful as I try to continue to facilitate high caliber guests as much as possible from all over to help us on our journey. Next up on episode number 11, I'm bringing to you the co-founder of Solve, a digital experience company, Prior to co-founding Solve, he was Samsung's first interaction designer in London. So stay tuned for that one. Now, it's important I mentioned that this is all free and it's made possible by sponsors. This episode was sponsored by our friends at Creative Live, the world's largest live streaming education website. Take advantage of the massive 25% off discount on any Creative Live design class by using the code GIANTTHINKERS3, but it's only valid until the 30th of November. So head on over to creativelive.com slash giantthinkers. There you can even see my top five picks because it really is important to continually be learning. I cannot emphasize that enough. A reminder also to subscribe to the giantthinkers.com mailing list and to this podcast on iTunes if you haven't already. And if you're really loving this podcast, I'd love to hear from you through a short review on iTunes. I read every single one. So if you head over to itunes.com slash podcast slash giantthinkerspodcast or just go to your iTunes app. In fact, you know what? If you leave one, here's what I'll do. Send me a screen grab, tweet it to me, at the giant thinker is my handle, and I will thank you personally with a Skype call. All right? So until next time, Giants, I'm Ram Castillo, and remember, as Steve Jobs once said, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. 